Good evening. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. I am uh, reminded of a number of years ago, I, I spent like two days solid working on a sermon and, and it just wasn't coming together and I was not happy about it, but there was nothing I could do. I just pulled something together and, and then it came time for church and I was sitting here listening to the reading, readings and out of the blue, an entirely new sermon just came to me and it seemed like a much better one at the time. <laughs> and so I, I got up in the pulpit and I explained to the congregation, I said, look, I've got this one I wrote, I don't think it's any good. I've got this other one that just came to me, which would you rather hear? And a voice came out of the middle of the congregation, clear as a bell right away, which one's shorter? I mean, uh, I imagine you might be wondering that yourself. This a long service. It's been a long Holy Week. It's been a long Lent. I mean, where do we even begin, right? Um, so many stories, so many prayers, so much incredible sacred music. I mean, this service alone taking us back to the very beginnings of creation through the entire history of our people, through wars won and wars lost and prayers answered and never heard and centuries of darkness and struggle punctuated by occasional moments of blinding insight. So, you know, where do we start even? For me, I'm still hearing that story from two nights ago at the Maundy Thursday service. It's just stuck in my craw keeps returning to me, inviting my attention. It's the night before he died. The disciples are huddled with Jesus in the heart of the city. Jesus knows the end is near. He knows he's been betrayed. The police are on the way. He knows that soon he's going to be hanging on the cross. And he knows he has a few options. He could run away. You know, fight, live to fight another day. He could make an angry, militant speech of resistance and rally the troops for a symbolic last stand. Or he could do what I would probably do in this situation, which would be to slump in the corner drinking heavily and weeping with self-pity. <laughs> but on the night of death and betrayal, Jesus kneels down in front of his disciples, taking the form of a slave, and washes their feet. Simon Peter famously objects, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. You're never going to wash my feet. Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no share of me. When it comes down to his final moments of freedom, this is how Jesus chooses to spend his time. He chooses to move into the deepest level of what it means to be human in the face of paralyzing fear and agonizing death. He chooses to love. Radical love. And he feels so strongly about this that he tells Peter that unless he was willing to accept this radical gesture of love, Jesus would have nothing further to do with him. He's clear. This is, if you will, 
a condition of membership in this club. You know, there are a lot of ways in which we strive to be an inclusive religion. We like to say here at the cathedral that we practice radical hospitality, but this is the part of us that is exclusive, not inclusive. If you want to be part of this group, Jesus says, you got to open your heart. You have to subject yourself to love. You have to let me love you. This isn't some kind of arbitrary rule that Jesus just came up with. This is just the way it is. It's a law, like the law of gravity. You know, you can't go into my house unless you actually step through the door. You can't spend an hour parked outside in front of my house and then tell your friends you're part of my household. You cannot claim to be in a relationship with Jesus if you reject the terms of that relationship, which, by the way, are not up to us to determine. Jesus sets the terms of the relationship, and these are his terms, that you open your heart to his love, that you allow him, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the one through whom all things were made, the second person of the Trinity, to wash your feet. This is what he came to die for. It's almost Zen-like in its simplicity. For love, he sacrificed everything. I give you a new commandment, he said, that you love one another as I have loved you. And that's his final teaching. It's not a suggestion. It's not an invitation. It's a commandment. Stealing a term from Wendell Berry, I call this practicing resurrection. Way back in the ancient of days when I was in seminary in Chicago, 1985, <laughs> I spent a summer working as a hospital chaplain at a very large hospital on the near west side of Chicago. And most of my time was spent going from one death to another, one grieving family experiencing the worst day of their lives to another. One day, I think I dealt with four or five deaths in a single day, including a couple of devastating tragedies there was a Filipino family who lost their teenage daughter in a car accident. There was a young couple who had lost their baby in childbirth. And then two or three of the more usual and no less important cases of old age and disease. And that night I came home from the hospital feeling like a zombie. The smell of death was in my nose. The reality of death felt like an anvil weighing me down from the inside. I felt absolutely depleted. So I walked into our apartment and I said to my wife, don't worry, it's not as bad as it looks, but I need you to do something for me. I need you to not talk for a while. Don't try to fix me. 
and I just need you to hold me. And she did for hours. Into the wee hours of the morning, my head on her chest, listening to her heartbeat and her breath. I felt like that famous statue of Michelangelo's, the Pietà with Mary holding the dead body of Jesus in her lap, cradling him as if he were a child. And slowly, as the night turned into morning, I came alive again. That's when the phrase practicing resurrection began to make sense to me. My wife had been practicing resurrection on me. I was loved into new life. You know, as ideas go, resurrection is not an easy one to believe in. But as a practice, we all do it. Parents do it when they raise their children to be happy, healthy, responsible human beings. Children do it whenever they give a grown-up a hug. We all do it when we listen deeply to one another, as we make ourselves vulnerable to one another physically, emotionally, spiritually. I remember early the next morning as I, I watched the light of the rising sun begin to spread across the room. I recognized a light that had grown stronger within me as well, where there had been despair and death. There was once again hope and life. This light didn't feel like it belonged to me. It didn't feel like something that, I, that, that lived and died as I lived and died. No, it felt like a light that had been there all along, like a seed planted in rich, dark soil waiting for the right conditions to blossom. It felt like it had been there since the beginning of time. We call the light of Christ's resurrection the uncreated light. It's the light we carried into this darkened church this evening. The light we present to folks when they get baptized. The light that is sparked into awareness whenever we love and are loved as Christ loves us. In other words, it's the light that burns brighter as we do as he commanded, as we bless one another and heal one another and care for one another. This is the light I've, been, I've seen shining here in this church in the eyes of the men and women who serve lunch on Wednesday afternoons and in the eyes of those who receive that light, that lunch. As we open our hearts to the presence of the Holy One here in this room in prayer, as we listen to the transcendent chords of the organ and the choir, as we go to classes and book groups and listen deeply to one another's sacred stories, we are loving one another into the light of Christ. And so, searching for this light, we have come here tonight. Our faith 
has brought us this far. Through the darkness of Lent, through the despair of our lives, through the pain and the loneliness and the futility of it all, we have come. We have come in our brokenness. We've come in our longing, in our silence, and in our illness. We are here. When I was growing up in Minnesota in the summers, I could always sense when a thunderstorm was on its way. You could feel this electrical charge gathering in the clouds. There was a rising charge in the air, a cloudburst about to break, an electrical field raising the hair on the backs of our heads, an energy hovering, seeking ground. That is where we are now. We're standing on sacred ground. We're taking off our shoes and standing in pools of holy water. Yeah, we know this is dangerous. This is crazy. This could hurt. This could change everything. And yet here we are, daring to accept the possibility that God the creator of all, the ground and abyss of all being is seeking us out, lifting our hearts so that we can say yes. May we say yes now. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.